Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles, if you would please, Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. I've entitled our Bible study, God's Blessings Turn Into Strife. We don't really equate the blessings of God with strife, but we see an example of that today as God is blessing Abraham, blessing his servants, that strife arises between his servants and the servants of Lot. Now we learned last time that Abram took matters into his own hands. We learned that his step of faith was met with a crisis of faith, and Abram didn't pass the test. He responded to the crisis of faith with compromise. And as he met this crisis of faith with compromise, he chose to go to Egypt. And Egypt in the Bible is often used as a type of the world. So you can say in a very real way that when the faith of Abram was met with a crisis, he ran to the world for help. It was a famine. Egypt, knowing as the breadbasket of the Middle East, he went to the place where there would be food, where there'd be preparation, where he would find refuge. But you don't want to turn to the world when crisis hits. You don't want to look to the world in this world system for protection. You don't want to look to the world for safety or for help. The Bible says in the Proverbs that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it. Because when crisis hits, you're going to run somewhere. It's a natural response. And you want to learn not to run to this world. Abram doesn't pray. He doesn't seek God. He just goes down into the land of Egypt because it was logical. Because it was practical. I know many of you listening to me right now, you have more of a pragmatic approach to life. That's just how God made you. But in times of crisis, you need to respond with more than just practical answers, more than just human pragmatism. You've got to learn to run to the Lord. There's going to be a lot of pain if you don't. Well, he tells his wife, as you know, as they come into Egypt, hey, you're so beautiful, you, you can't let them know you're my wife. You've got to lie to them. And he lied, got himself in trouble, but more so, Pharaoh chose her as his wife. Now some believe, even some commentators look at this and say there was a, there was a, a transaction that took place, that all that Abram received in livestock and everything was actually a purchase price uh, in the custom of the day. I thought that was interesting. But nonetheless, Abram's failure was met with the grace of God, and he learned some hard lessons. And isn't it true? You're going to learn the lessons of life, and you're going to hurt, learn the hard lessons of life. And you can do that in one of two ways. You can go the hard way or the easy way. And Abram, unfortunately, went the hard way. Another thing we want to remember about Abram, he's the father of faith. And that's how he's remembered, how he's mentioned many times in the New Testament. However, the father of faith didn't start out that way. There was spiritual growth in his life and maturity. 
He needed, like you and I need, to learn how to grow in our grace, grow in the grace of God, grow in faith. None of you were born mature either. It's funny, as sometimes I'll share a testimony of part of my past, and maybe it's a difficult part or something that just, it'll, it'll elicit a response, well, no, they look at me physically and go, oh, I could never see that. I, could, I just don't see that in you, pastor. And the thought is, well, what do you think? I was born with coming out of, gla- coming out of my mom's womb with glasses on, and I just had a Bible in my hand, and, and I just, no, I, I had to learn. I, didn't, like, like it, I, I was looking for some pictures, I couldn't find them, of some real difficult times in my life, and maybe it's a good good reason for it. But man, there are some pictures of uh, when I got out of jail, when I got out of the hospital, where, I mean, I got beat up pretty bad. And it was a reminder. I should have, I asked my dad one year to send them to me because I wanted to use them as an illustration. And I lost them, I guess. I can't find them anywhere. Must be the Lord's will for me not to use them in this season. But I should have just left them. My dad said, oh no, you're going to lose them. I go, oh no, dad, I won't lose them. I lost them. So you can grow in your faith. You can grow. Abram grew, and you're going to grow too. So chapter 13, verse 1. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. He's coming back into the land, getting back on journey, on task, getting back into the lane that the Lord had given him. And he's a different man from these experiences. You're always going to come out different through your successes or your failures. He's a different man, and he's learned. He's learned that he could trust God. He's learned that he didn't need to cover up for himself. He's learned that he didn't need to manipulate the situation. He's learned that he didn't need to lie. He didn't need to lie. He's learned that he didn't need to involve his wife in lying. He's learned that he could trust God even with his own physical life. You know, lying is such a common sin today. It's so common in the church. I'm sure if we did some kind of heart survey, we'd find lying all over the place. Little here, little there, not telling the truth, not wanting to hurt someone's feeling. I mean, we could think of a million different things that prevent us from walking in the truth. And lying sometimes looks like it worked. There's a deceit involved or lack of sharing. Well, you know, it kind of worked and you move on and you, you don't think about that your sin will surely find you out. It doesn't work. Lying is a sin that from the very beginning, honesty and fidelity is a value. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, the the top 10, (laughs) the 10 commandments. Remember, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Psalm 101, verse 7, he who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. It is a sin like other sin that breaks fellowship. It breaks fellowship with God, but it breaks fellowship with one another. It happens immediately, even as you plan. It was a lie and deceit that drew Eve into a place of sin. 
because she believed the lie. From who? The father of lies, Jesus said. He is the father. He births all deception and lies, Jesus said. Don't take the devil for granted or underestimate his power. One of the main weapons, you could say in his left hand he has division, and in his right hand he has lies. And he uses them constantly. And we as believers, we participate in it all. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. These six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Proud look, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devised wicked plans, feet are, that are swift to running to evil, and on the list goes. A lying tongue. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 9. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies shall perish. While lying can seem like a very immediate, convenient way to protect ourselves, it actually does the opposite. It exposes us to the work of the enemy. It exposes us to the furtherance of our flesh. It breaks relationships. Lying will separate even the best of friends. Lying can even cause deep traumatic pain. Unfortunately, lying seems to be very common among us all. May the Lord give us a holy hatred of lies and a true repentance, godly sorrow. How much more could the church, how much more progress could the church make if we walked in the truth, if we dwelt in the truth? Let me show you a passage of Scripture that that we value here at the church. Turn over to 1 John. It's not like we don't value all the scriptures, but this is an important one. 1 John chapter 1. We had a real difficult season among our staff and team many years ago, and this was the verse that God gave us coming out of it, and it becomes a very principal truth that we, that we want to grow in. And Notice in verse 5 of chapter 1 in 1 John. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we, what does your Bible say? Lie. So lying starts first with God. We say we have fellowship. We say, you know, that we're in right with God and we're in relationship with God and we're abiding with him, but we're walking in the darkness. We're living a lie. That's where it starts. We don't practice the truth. However, verse 7 If we walk in the light as he is in the light, notice what happens. We have fellowship with one another. So first we have fellowship with God. We have light. We're walking in the light as he's in the light, so we're right with God. Then that means we become right with one another, fellowship with one another, and then we get to enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ who cleanses us, notice, from all our sins. And we get to enjoy our our relationship with God. So Abram lied in a huge way, and he was found out, and he knew, now learned, that he didn't need to lie to protect his wife or his life. He thought he would die, but God was with him. God was with him, and God was protecting him. Even when it was found out it was a lie, God expelled him, because God was working a bigger plan in Abram's life. He was setting up the coming of Messiah. And Abram can go the easy way or the hard way, but he's going to go nonetheless. 
God did protect him. God did watch over him. And God will watch you and watch over you. And God will protect you as you abide in him. Despite your faith falterings, despite your running to the world, God will protect you. Now remember this. For those that you might have failed. Those of you that might have failed. Those of you that might be in a position right now where just talking about lies is bringing great conviction or condemnation in your life. Our relationship with God is not based upon our goodness or our righteousness or our performance. No, our relationship is based upon God's amazing grace. His eternal daily mercies are new morning by morning. Because one of the questions that comes up when a time like Abram is, wait a minute, look at such a failure he made. Look at what he did. Look at how he treated his wife. And, and yet he receives all these perceived blessings from Egypt. He becomes a violently rich man, if you will, with all of the possessions. And when Pharaoh presses, says to leave, he doesn't tell him to has to keep, stay. He has to leave all this stuff. He can take it with him. And we learned last time that this is a pattern of God. He, the nation of Israel will do this once again later on, and they'll do the same thing. They'll go in, and they'll end up being expelled out of Egypt with all kinds of stuff because God is supplying his nation for the future. But the question is this. Now, wait a minute. It seems like Abraham lied. He's faithless here, and yet he's still blessed. And if you ask that question, you not only asked a really good question, but you made a very good observation. And you are right in your observation. Abraham failed greatly and yet experienced the blessings of God. And the question becomes, why? Why? And it really messes with our heads because we've been raised in a culture, whether you realize it or not, that from a very young age, you do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. That's natural. It's in the natural realm. It's in the spiritual realm. And it's even in the discipline and training and admonition of the Lord. You do good, you get good. It's very counterintuitive to do good and get bad. It frustrates us. You're like, that's not fair. That's not fair. And it's very counterintuitive to do bad to get good. That's how the world does things. So, pastor, get to the question, why was Abram blessed. Well, God's blessings flow into your life and mine, into Abram's life, Sarah's life, not based upon performance, but based upon the grace of God. Because the flip side of that coin has to be considered. Do you really believe you deserve the blessings of God? Is that the type of life that you live, that if you do good, you now God owes you? You know, there are a few things that God includes in his scriptures because I think he knew exactly the areas that we would need to be reminded. And the Bible says God will be a debtor to no man. <laughs> it's his love and grace. Yes, God's working out a greater plan in Abram's life. He's also working out a greater plan in your life. Paul would tell the Romans, don't you know that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance? Don't you know it's going to be a love relationship that draws you away from sin? Don't you know that God is going to, yeah, it's going to be hard. Abram's going to suffer consequences, yes. But he's also going to experience the love and the grace of God through the pain in a very unique way. Paul would write, inspired by the Holy Spirit to the church in Ephesus, it's by grace that you've been saved. 
It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared beforehand for us. Yet while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for the ungodly. And so now they return and expelled from Egypt into the southern part of Israel, the Negev, the desert area. And I love this. And I hope we finish, but I don't want to skip these things because you can't miss this. Abram experiences great failure. And when he starts to come to the place of understanding, he goes back to Bethel, back to the house of God. But it's all described here, isn't it? He went as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. And the place where the altar that he made there at first. And it was at Bethel that Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Which to me implies that Egypt, the world, was not really facilitating Abram's worship of God. He had to get back to Bethel and be humbled and broken. And he goes back to the place of worship where he was before before the, fam the famine hit, before the crisis came, where he was developing his faith, he went back. He went back to the place of worship, back to the place of obedience, back to the place where he received divine direction, back to the place where Bethel, the house of God. That's why often, often the place of, of corporate worship like this becomes very symbolic. People come back to church when really it's just their step coming back to God. And if someone comes back to church, we want to be able to say, well, come back to the place of worship because that's what we'll be doing. Come back to the place where God spoke to you. Well, maybe it wasn't this building. Maybe it was a building when you were a child. Maybe it was a place where God really spoke to you and then you backslid into the world. But when you come back, you come back to the place of worship, to the place where God speaks, to the place where the family of God is, where all the broken people show up so that God brings healing and strength so you can hear the Lord again and you can start worshiping God again and he will speak again. And that's where Abram goes. He goes home. Doesn't it sound familiar? Did anybody make the connection yet? Does anybody remind it of a little post-it note that Jesus wrote to the church in Ephesus that thrived on the grace of God? That remembered they were the ones that were the workmanship? They were the ones that were enriched in every spiritual blessing from on high? They were the ones that were learning about the depth and the width and the height of God's love? They were the ones that were making great inroads in a very pagan city. And a few years later, Jesus has this to say. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 is so encouraging because what Abram's doing is what Messiah will instruct many years later. And today, the Lord's telling you to come home. Go back to Bethel. Go back to the place of worship. Go back to the place of obedience. Go back to the place where God gives divine direction, where his word is valued, where there are people following Christ. Go back home. Go back to the beginning. 
He says in verse four, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Can you hear that interpreted toward Abram? Abram, I have, man, look at you. I know you have faith and I know you want to believe, but you're afraid right now. You're scared. You, you want to save your life. You want to pray. But you, look what you did to your wife. No, no, no. Listen, Abram, I have this against you. You're in Egypt. You have left your first love. You bailed on Bethel. You need to go home. Remember from where you have fallen, Jesus says. Repent. Many times that's skipped. I'm going back to church. I'm coming back to the Lord. But have you repented? What do you mean, pastor? I mean, I received the Lord when I was a baby. No, have you repented of the sins that took you to Egypt? Have you repented of the faithlessness? Have you made things right with the people you hurt? Do you have godly sorrow of this? Or are you just tired of the consequences? Is that why you're back? Now, I'm glad you're back. But you got to go all the way. If you're going to go to Bethel, man, build an altar. Go do the work. Set it up. And bow yourself before God. you got to repent. That's an act of worship. Repentance is an act of worship. You're not going to get where you want to go unless you go through the pathway of repentance. Forsaking your sin. And then he says, go back and do the first works, which is exactly what Abram does. And what God is calling to generations and generations of his followers throughout the ages. I love that. I'm so grateful. Abram, thanks for going home to Bethel for showing us the pattern. Verse 5, come back with me now in Genesis. Lot also, who went with Abram, had herds, flocks, and tents. Now, verse 5, wouldn't it be great if it said, Lot also went back to Bethel built an altar, worshiped the Lord. But all it says about Lot at this time is he also was successful and prosperous. And verse six, the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock and the Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelt in the land. It's interesting, isn't it? They're very successful, very prosperous. The area where they're at is not big enough for them. It's not Lot and Abram that are arguing here. It's their servants. It's not Lot and Abram. I want you to notice that. They're not the ones in broken fellowship. It's a third party. Now, let me ask you this. You don't need to answer. But haven't you found it to be true that a lot of the conflict in your life is actually not with the person that you might be in conflict with? It's the conflict actually stems from a third party, someone else. It's really not between the person, although it's there, but the source of it actually wasn't between you two. It was someone else. Someone else butting into your business, someone else doing something against you, someone else talking about you, taking sides. Like if, if that person didn't exist, you'd probably still get along. But the enemies use them in your life. Just like here, Abram and Lot, they're fine at this point. And as they have all of this, they are hearing that the herdsmen are arguing. And then verse 7, I thought it was interesting at the end of verse 7. Um, God just wants us to know the enemies are still in the land. While you're fighting, the enemy's in the land. While you're off your game, the enemies are in the land. While you're distracted with whatever the herdsmen are arguing about, the enemy's in the land. Never forget that, church. The enemy is in your backyard. He's in your car in the cubicle next to you. Not the person, but the cubicle next to you. 
He's in that situation. There's enemies in the land. This is a real fight. It's not over. You know, when you're a new believer, fight, 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 got to conquer this, got to... Yeah, well, the fight's still on. And the farther along in the pathway, the greater the fight. Abram had a lot of livestock. He was very blessed. Hundreds of servants that could be armed, 318, I think, of servants that could be armed and probably many more that weren't armed. Very wealthy, very successful. Lot also was very successful and very wealthy. And this is a neat principle. Understand this. Lot was blessed because of his proximity to Abram. Lot is not the focal character in this. He's blessed because he's with his uncle. That's the blessing. Yes, the grace of God. And then when he gets into the human realm, Lot is blessed because of his closeness and association with Abram. Because God was with Abram, Lot experienced the same blessings. And this is part of the covenant promise. What did God say? Go back to chapter 12. Don't forget this. You may even want to rememorize the covenant promise. Go back to chapter 12. The promise that God made with the pagan Abram, call him out of his land into a relationship with himself. He said, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curses you. Now, that is toward Pharaoh. Pharaoh would live that out. And he said, in verse 2, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. So Lot's experiencing the blessing of Abram before it's even fully fulfilled. And at the end of verse 3, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Lot is blessed because of Abram. And I would say even now, there is a benefit to being around those who are blessed by the Lord. There is a benefit of being around those that are experiencing the blessings of God. Just as much, now many times we'll hear that in the negative, and the negative is true as well, but this is the positive. It is a good thing to be around strong, faithful, mature men and women, even young men and women, boys and girls, who have a strong walk with the Lord and they're living out the blessings of God. There is a benefit to being around those who are a blessing because we usually hear it in the opposite. And Paul would write this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. The company you keep is very important. This is not to isolate yourself as Christians and never interface with unbelievers or those that don't know Christ or family. That, that is not what he's saying here. He's saying that there is blessings available to you when you hang out with people that are blessed of God, that are following the, ble- following the ways of God, that, that are good examples. I found it even in the Proverbs as I was looking at this and paused it. Listen to the Proverb chapter 13, verse 20. Listen to what he says. He who walks with wise men will be wise. Isn't that great? But the companion of fools will be destroyed. Isn't that not great? I mean, it's just basic wisdom. You want to hang out with wise people, you're going to pick up on their wisdom. You want to hang out with fools, you're going to be destroyed. So Abram comes back to the land, the land of promise. He sets up an altar. His heart is right before the Lord. He's worshiping. He's seeking. And of course, there would be strife. Because with great progress comes great resistance. Of course, there would be strife. 
I don't know why we're surprised by it. Of course there'd be resistance. Abram's finally back in the land, back at the house of the God, back at the place of worship, back to the place, but the blessing turns into strife. Is that possible? Well, we see it here. Blessing growing into being so much that the blessing can be a burden, can actually begin to create strife. Conflict arises even in the blessings of God. And it's always a people issue. It's not a possession issue. It's not a stuff issue. The conflict is people. Jealousy, contentions, covetousness, being upset. Yes, it's true. There wasn't enough land to support these growing families. But notice in verse 8, Abram responds. This man of faith is being directed by God and he responds, please let there be no strife between you and me. No strife between our herdsmen and your herdsmen. We're brethren. Can you just circle verse 8 somewhere in there if there's an opening? Just write relationships are important. Abram made sure, hey, we're brothers. We're family. I know there's conflict. I know there's strife, but I don't, I don't want it. And notice what he does. Isn't the whole land before you? Verse 9, Se- please separate from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll, I'll go to the left. And the solution was to humble himself. To die to himself. And say, Lot, you choose whatever you want. I'll choose the opposite. You get first shot. Which was amazingly humble. Because even, in, even in culturally, the elder was to be respected above the younger. In a very cultural, pragmatic way, Abram should have been able to choose first. And Lot should have put up some fight. Go, no, 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 Abram. I, your humility, I'll match with humility. And I, you go first. Lot and Abram, at this point, are in fellowship with one another, and he doesn't want that broken. Now, can I speak to this for a moment in the church of Jesus Christ, that God's people often find themselves at odds with one another. Churches are often a hotbed of conflict and division. It doesn't have to be that way. It can be a lot less than sometimes it really is. But it shouldn't surprise you that you would meet conflict even in this church. Someone will fail you. Someone will not meet your expectations. There might be real arguments and division. You may have different political views or different upbringing, or you might see different categories. You know, you see different things in the world differently, but what we need to do is not fight for our opinions, but to yield to the word and follow the pathway of Abram here and learn how to die to ourselves. I don't want any conflict. I, I don't need to fight and use the word of God, the sword of the spirit to cut your head off, but rather to let the word of God bring us to the God of peace which we learn in the scriptures that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he'll give us the desires of our heart. We learn in the scriptures that if our ways please the Lord, then he can make even our enemies be at peace with us. And so Abram took the pathway of pleasing the Lord. Now, there are a few steps. You can jot them down. I'm not developing any of them, but you can think about them later if you'd like. We can avoid a lot of conflict in the church with five things. Number one, don't be surprised or shocked when conflict comes your way. 
As a matter of fact, I would even add a um, number one sub point is if you're not shot, if, if you're, if, if what's, I just had a thought in my mind and it just ran away as fast as it came in. Don't be shocked and surprised if you're involved in a conflict. Be shocked and surprised if you're not involved in a conflict. Making progress. Thank you, Lord, for shooting it right back in. Number two, put on the mind of Christ. Put on the mind of Christ. Seek him first. Number three, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Walk in humility. Number four, emphasize the important things, the things that you agree on. And number five, in everything, love, agape love, because love covers a multitude of sins. I mean, we could probably come up with a lot of different lists, but just simple things. Don't be surprised. Walk with the mind of Christ. Put on the clothing, the breastplate of righteousness, the robe of righteousness. Well, notice what happens here. It says in verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plains of the Jordan, and it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, that's where he's looking. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zoar. And then notice this. Number one, verse 11, Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and number two, notice they separated from each other. I do know those are practical things and they needed to happen in this situation, but I also believe the emphasis here in the Hebrew is Lot chose for himself. Once again, we see no mention of prayer, no seeking of, no humbling before Abram, no you choose, you're the wise one, I'll follow your wisdom. But he chose for himself. Sodom and Gomorrah. The word Sodom, the city's Sodom means burning. And Gomorrah means submersion. And these two cities were truly submerged in sin and immorality. And Abram, receiving the grace of God himself, was being gracious here. He was being gracious. He offered the opportunity for Lot to make a decision. You see, Abram was at peace with God, and therefore he wanted there to be peace within his family. And he wanted the strife to end. Lot should have said, Abram, you're the born blessed of God. All I have is because of you. All I have is because you heard God and obeyed him. I'm blessed because you're blessed. You choose. And I'll do this. None of this. But instead, puffed up with pride, Lot gets greedy. And his greed sends him to a well-watered, beautiful area that was corrupt on the inside. And it trapped him. Ruined his family. You know, sin always looks good to the eyes. You know that? There's always some that's sin that's temptation to you. Because you could say, well, it's not every sin. I know, because you're not tempted by everything. But the temptations that come to you, they always look good to the eyes. They always look like a well-watered, well-taken-care-of. That, that's why when you become a spiritual man or woman, you want the Lord to lead you and speak to you and guide you because not everything is as it seems not everything is as it looks and of course we live in a culture that really emphasizes outward and pays no attention to the inward and you have to be careful lot's mistake is not a good one here 
It ultimately leads to the destruction of his family. Verse 12. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. And the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Somehow Lot was attracted to this. I don't think that was a secret. I don't think he was only interested in what was well watered. I do believe he knew about the reputation of the wickedness of these cities and somehow it appealed to his flesh. And God let him go. Gave him up to himself. Notice verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. And all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could also be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, and I give it to you. And Abram moved his tent and went dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And notice, he built an altar there to the Lord. This is a pattern of worship again in Abram's life. And he looks toward the north, toward Samaria. And he looks toward the south, which is toward Jerusalem. He looks toward the east, which is Moab, and the west to the Mediterranean area, the Mediterranean Sea. And he moves on to Mamre. If you're writing, it, it means riches. And Hebron speaks of communion, the Hebrew word. And so while Lot is flirting with the wickedness and moral corruption and burning sinful desires, Abram's making spiritual progress in fellowship with the Lord. And as painful as this must have been, it was a good thing for Abram to be separated from Lot. That's a hard thing to say. But it was a good thing that this activity took place. Because what God says after Lot leaves is you're not going to be able to number the blessings you're going to receive. And that's true for you and me too because we are sons and daughters. Abraham is our father. He's the father of faith. We teach the kids in Sunday school for many years. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. You are one of them. And so am I. Or we. I don't even know what it is. I forgot the song. I'm going to have to learn it again. And then let's all praise the Lord, left hand, right hand, left hand, hand. We're all Father Abraham's kids, fathers of faith, sons and daughters of faith. And church, receive this and pray over it. You ready? This principle here, and this is where we'll close. Maybe even hard to hear. Very difficult to receive, but I ask you to pray over it for those of you that it's hard. Sometimes we have to break loose of relationships before we experience the fullness of the blessings of God. Sometimes we need to break free and break loose of relationships before we experience the blessings of God, as painful as it is. It may not even be our decision. It may be their decision. They're going to move on, and they're going to move over here, and they're going to do this, and we're brokenhearted, and we're crying, and it hurts, and I can't believe it happened. And then, you know, what did I do if I would have just... And I just want you to step back for a second and consider sometimes it is God's will for that person to be removed from your life. To break free and loose of these relationships. So much so, again, that's the positive side. So much so, we are familiar with the negative side of that. Here's what the Bible says in a more difficult 
verse, 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? I believe in a very practical way that Abram would have loved to spend the rest of his life with Lot and work out a deal and stay in communication and just work it all out. And let's just work it out. We're brothers. You're my family. But God's will was for this to be unfolded the way it is and for Abram to be separated from Lot. And they, we, you know, if you're re- reading the Bible, these guys don't know what's up ahead. If you read ahead, you know what's up ahead. Lot's going to get in big trouble in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abram's going to be able to rescue him from a position of strength, not compromise weakness. That's for another Bible study altogether. But there might be people in your life tonight who are hurting you and not helping you, taking from you and not giving, draining and not developing, sapping you of your spiritual strength and the effectiveness that God has for your life. You may have people in your life that discourage you instead of encourage you, that tear you down instead of build you up. You need to separate from them as unto the Lord. And if you're yet still unconvinced, then pray. And let the Lord lead you in that matter. Let Him reveal to you what even that separation might look like. Maybe a little bit of distance. Maybe a little time of fasting and praying to see how God might put you in a position of strength. I was thinking, this illustration has come up a couple times this week already, but I was thinking, when you get on a plane and they give you the familiar instructions on how to, how to respond in a, in a crisis, something really, really bad happens, the, the gal or the guy will drop the mask and, and they will tell you on the recording or however, put yours on first. Not the kid next to you. They're literally telling you, don't think of the kid next to you until you think of yourself. Why? Because you'll be of no help unless you're breathing. Yeah, it's just seconds. But the, the pragmatic approach is take care of the kid, take care of the kid. Well, you may not even have enough time to take care of the kid and both will be lost. But if you take care of yourself first, both are saved. And that's just the way of the Lord. So often the way of the Lord is not what we would think, not what we would do. You may even have this thought like, if I was God, this is what we would do. Thank God, you are not God. We don't want to know your ways. We want to know the Lord's ways. And if you have something to share, share with us the Lord's way. What is the way of the Lord? Which way should I go? What's the counsel of God's word? How should I decide? Which to the left or to the right? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I saved that verse for last. Because I know in challenging words like this, there's such a, a fight but you hear the word of the Lord, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. And for those that the word of the Lord is speaking, we have a special prayer for you just to encourage you and help you because it's a challenging thing to consider. Father, I pray, especially for those right now 
challenged by your word today, challenged by the admonition, challenged by the consideration. I pray for a special anointing of boldness and courage in their life, comfort, strength. I pray, Father, that you would help them. What a heartbreak it must have been for Abram to see Lot go toward Sodom, but then right away you said, oh, I want you to look, Abram, because you're going to get so much more. It's all yours. You look, look north, it's yours. Look south, that's yours. Look to the west, that's all yours. Look out to the, to the east, that's all yours. And there's so much rich blessings ahead for those that leave the choice to you. He just came back from Egypt. He made this choice. But now, Lord, I pray that as you have that, that sense of the Spirit moving among us, that God, you would have your way. There would be great progress. There would be great freedom. There would be great deliverance. And Father, we pray that your spirit would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together today. I do believe, I, maybe I should have included it in the message when it airs on the radio, but maybe we'll get calls on it and we can minister to people. But I do, want, I do have a word of caution. The instructions of the scriptures are to never to respond in a sinful way. So I don't want you to confuse what I said right now. And I think maybe like somebody needs to hear this, okay? I did not say, go divorce your husband or wife. I did not say that. God did not say that. So don't use this little section out of context. Just so you know. We'll have to like patch that into the message somehow. God doesn't give you instruction then to go make a sinful choice. You guys all hear me that? And the one person that need to hear it, did you hear it? Oh, you don't have to say it out loud. I just want to make sure you heard it from the Lord. If you need prayer tonight, the pastors will be up here to minister to you and serve you, uh, to encourage you in the things of the Lord. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.